Where, where's Shannon? Uh, she's feeling under the weather. She's got uh, like a oh, really no. bad headache and she's running a fever. So I guess we're going to lose her on this one. Oh, that sucks. I know. I'm sorry. I, Tell her I hope she feels better soon. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. You know, we've done two handers on this before, at least uh, when um, mm-hmm. after Stephen left, uh, when I was sick and y'all did. The- yep. We managed. We managed. It's less fun, but we can get it done. That's weird. I didn't think Whoa. Skype calls could inter... I, I, we're in a group call. How did somebody call us? Somebody's got powers, man. Hey, guys. Oh. Hi, Jason. Hi, Jason. Kosh, Kosh do, you need, do, you, do you want me on? Can I be on? Can I be on? It's a sad episode. Please, please, please. Well. I guess we've got our third. This is Erica in Edmonton. Chip in Durham. And Jason in Mill Valley or the Shadow of Death. One of those. Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, <laughs> episode 59, Interludes and Examinations. So welcome back, and thank you all once again for journeying with us through the good times and the bad on Babylon 5. And in this episode, the folks on Babylon 5 certainly had some bad times, so welcome back, Jason Snell. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pour one out for Kosh and uh, for Lady Adira, too, right? So, Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. If there's a body <laughs> a count, there's Jason. I'm counting. Mm-hmm. I'm counting them. <laughs> There's, there's two in this one. Mm-hmm. Oh dear. Uh, no, it is. It is always delightful to have you back, Jason. And I'm. I'm just sorry that we don't have Shannon here as well to giggle at your delight. <laughs> uh, I was on one episode where people didn't die. I, good times. Anyway, yes, it's That's great true. to be back. This is. This is. I do. I do actually love this episode. So I'm. I'm. I'm glad to be back. Mm-hmm. Well. It's good to have you. Let's let's just jump in, uh, starting with what you need to know going into this episode. Babylon 5 is a space station that recently declared independence from Earth. It is a bit of a gathering place slash focal point in the midst of a war with a terrible and ancient enemy, the Shadows, who have only just started attacking younger civilizations openly after working in the, well, in the Shadows for quite some time. Ah. The Vorlons are a race that is at least as old as these Shadows, and they have also been working behind the scenes to prepare for this war. And that brings us to... Interludes and examinations, in which Sheridan needs a win. He gets one. Kosh dies. Stephen quits. Londo takes up with Mr. Morden again. And Kosh's ship mourns. Mm. Now, I kept that short because I think we have a lot to get to. And I just want to dive in. And talking about it too much makes me sad. (laughs) What an intense episode. And Mm. yet another one in the uh, JMS uh, lexicon of episodes that are hugely important with the most innocuous of titles. <laughs> yep. Nothing much happens. Just some interludes, some examinations. Nothing big. <laughs> After it was done, Stephen was just like, what was this one called again? And I told him and he just, he shook his head. I really wish that I would have written down what he said after that because it was something about episode titles. Maybe the next time we get him on, we'll have to give, have him give us his theory of, of what Babylon 5 episode titles should be because he... <laughs> He came up with something that that was that was funny, and he was just so annoyed, so annoyed. <laughs> but I like it; it's kind of stealthy. Uh, I mean, this is a this is a really big episode on a whole lot of levels, and I kind of like that you get caught unawares. You know, it's not like it's not like point of no return. You know, mm-hmm. that's true. That is true. 
Well, <clears throat> yeah, this is a big one. Might as well not bury the lead. Kasha's dead, you guys. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> Quite a bombshell there. All of a sudden, seemingly out of nowhere, since we haven't even seen him for a while. Uh, did The first time through, did that take you by surprise? Kind of. Kind of, yeah. Um, when we, you know, when you, when you first see this episode... Um, there were rumors online uh, when this episode went out live that, you know, we were going to be losing a major character. And I don't think anybody was really expecting it to be Kosh because I'm not sure that people really treated Kosh as a character when you really thought about it. It's just this guy mm-hmm. in a suit. You know, it's not an it's not an actor. It's not an actor right. departing the show or anything <laughs> like that. Um, and yet this is really... In my experience, anyway, it's hugely meaningful. It is, uh, it, it is a really um, sympathetic loss for the character. It is a, a kind of sentimental send off for the character, and um, it 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 feels like it changes the show in a lot of significant ways. And I'm sure we'll talk about the uh, uh, talk about that both uh, before and after the spoiler space. But yeah, I didn't I didn't see it coming back then. Because I didn't expect, I didn't expect to, I didn't expect Kosh to matter as much as he did. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I, I remember the moment when watching the episode when um, Rance Howard appears, and really, really when when Morden is in the in the room and the shadows appear in Kosh's quarters, at where where there's this sinking feeling of like, oh, oh. no, right. And and but up until that moment, I hadn't really seen it. And I think the trick is, and it's it's what Chip said, um, extending it even further. This is the episode where I feel like the shadows and the Vorlons are on the board for the first time in a way, where where they there are stakes and they can be beaten and they can die. And up until now, they've been kind of. It's almost like they're playing a different game, and the rest of the the races are down below playing their game. And and uh, at some point, we should probably talk about how do you make the um, the unbeatable enemy beatable? Because you want to scare everybody with the shadows and make them seem completely unbeatable. But at some point, you have to fight them, right? And so you have to have ways. They have to show vulnerability at some point. And the, the Vorlons have always been portrayed as being this amazing, impossible, perfect power kind of race, completely inscrutable. We can't. Nobody even goes there. And so, how do you how do you break that down a little bit too? And and uh, Kosh dying at the hands of the shadows uh, the the Vorlons defeating the shadows this is that moment where it's all sort of breaking down and and they're now they're kind of down in the the mud with the rest of us at this point this, this is perfectly timed because the previous episode ship of tears ends with the uh surprise revelation that's not really motivated by anything but that's that's okay that's how that's how this sort of thing would work that the shadows have started openly moving and that they're openly attacking um, civilizations now. Cut to this next episode, and people are running around like chickens with their heads cut off because the shadows are doing this. And we need to do something because they're so powerful, and that's what leads to uh, Sheridan shaming Kosh into getting the Vorlons involved. Um so the Vorlons look super powerful. We don't see them take a whole lot of casualties in their uh, encounter with the uh, shadows. 
so so but immediate consequences kosh killed mm. immediately so just as you start to think that the shadows are vulnerable and you can fight them and stuff like that the vorlons pay for it kosh pays for it and i think that that's just i i think that ratchets up the tension because it gives you a moment of hope and then a moment of despair immediately afterward mm-hmm. yeah it, it it everything comes with a price and this was a seemingly high price actually the first time i saw it I had only just started watching the show, not terribly many episodes before this. So for me, watching it now and, and on subsequent rewatches, it's, it was kind of a very different experience because I didn't know the characters of the show terribly well. So I didn't know that Kosh hadn't been around on every single episode. So I think the first time that I saw this with my friends, we assumed that Kosh was just somebody who was there all the time like everybody else. And oh my God, what a huge deal this is, especially since, you know, they chose to use Rance Howard as, oh, yeah. as Sheridan's father to come and deliver the message. I, I mean, we really got the message that this was an important character to Sheridan and he's dying and holy crap, oh my God. Uh, this time watching it through again, I, I am realizing, especially since Stephen keeps pointing it out every time Kosh is on screen, I realize how he's not really there all that often. And when he is, he is just spewing cryptic lines mm-hmm. that, you know, may or may not mean something. So it was Stephen it was interesting. punched to the air when, um, you know, st- just standing there and being cryptic, you know, when, when, when Sheridan <laughs> took it to Kosh, Stephen, your husband must have loved this. And Chip, you know him very well. He did literally punch the air. I'm not even kidding. It was it was that he was very, very excited. It was a fist pump. And yeah, the, the line, you know, about you just standing there and looking cryptic. <laughs> Steven was, yes, he was thrilled. But uh, to his credit, he wasn't thrilled when Kosh died. He was very impressed by sort of the bold narrative decision that the show made to, to go in that direction. But he wasn't dancing on Kosh's grave. So I didn't have to, you know, <laughs> stare at him moodily or anything like that. Well, one of the it's, one of the strengths about this episode is we finally know something about Kosh's personality, mm-hmm. and we get to know him just before he dies. Um, and, and the I, way that they do that is through Rance Howard, and all of a sudden, yeah. Kosh has never seemed more human, if you'll excuse the term, more <laughs> relatable. He's he's. He is literally a father figure, and you never would have looked at him like that before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it was so different for me going back and watching this. I never actually got to experience Kosh as the truly cryptic, you know, what the heck is going on? What is this alien kind of thing? Because my first real experience with Kosh was this episode. So I got Kosh personality from basically moment one so going back and rewatching, it was it was weird to be watching it with steven who was always so frustrated because in my mind i'm like no <laughs> i never i never went through that frustration it was it was totally totally new to me to see it experienced through steven's eyes so i'm glad that i have been able to watch it with him because i feel like i've gotten a piece of what it must have been like for everybody who caught the show from the very beginning I mean, we get here with Kosh, and, and is, it, is it only one episode before, uh, earlier on, there's the one where, where uh, Sheridan is taken 
uh, and kidnapped him, and and you get that feeling of like, oh, there was a there was a telepathic touch from Kosh. Mm-hmm. That we've gotten this suggestion before, but this is the payoff, which is uh, Kosh. You know, he's really alien. You get that sense that part of this is just the Vorlons can't communicate like that. So that by by using telepathy, by using visions, or uh, the, including the vision of Sheridan's dad, this is how we can we can get to it. But it's also dropping the veil too, and saying in these in these last moments. I, I was thinking while watching it about the Prime Directive from Star Trek, which uh, original Star Trek was a huge influence on on JMS, and he he said so when he was thinking about Babylon Five. He was thinking about uh, Star Trek a lot, the original series, um, and you some people, actors and writers from that. And I was thinking about the, this is almost like the Prime Directive from the perspective of the people being protected. The Vorlons are don't want anybody to see them, don't want to go to their you to go to their planet. They 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 really are reluctant to get involved in any way. They want to manipulate a little bit, but they and this is that moment where Kosh realizes I gotta I just have to do this. And I think it's unclear from this episode the Vorlons are aware of what happened, but it's not like Kosh says, I'm gonna go check with my people or something. He just says, All right, John, I need to tell you what what is going to happen? Um, and and so you know, is is this just Kosh doing this? But in this moment, he drops the veil. He's going against sort of the secrecy of the Vorlons in order to get across what he was probably planning to get across over time. Because we also get in this moment where Sheridan confronts him that other shocking revelation, which Sheridan's being all fatalistic of like, yeah, yeah, you said that I'm going to die if I go to Zaha Doom, and Kosh's response is, yes, now. <laughs> Oh, and while you <sighs> mention that, can I just I just want to give a huge thumbs up round of applause to Bruce Boxleitner for his performance in that scene. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not it is not an easy thing to pretend that you're being held up against a wall with an invisible force and still be able to emote and, and you know, give give a performance. Mm. And I think that he he matched all of those things very well. And the idea that he really did have nothing to lose is just that's. I love seeing this character in put in that position and really fighting for something that he believes in. And I think it was a really nice sort of symmetrical episode and that you get to see him emoting in a completely different way at the end of it because he realizes that 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 fighting that he did in that first scene where he was so awesome was what resulted in in the death of Kosh mm-hmm. and now he's he's sad about it and because he realizes sort of he's he's complicit in this to a certain extent and oh I love I how desperate he is before uh, b- before the yeah. confrontation reaches its pinnacle. You know, he mm-hmm. is he's freaked out. He's desperate. He is almost crazy. He can't get anybody on his side, right? And he doesn't know what mm-hmm. to do. And he, yeah, you and, know, Jason. Jason, your point yeah. earlier about about having to show the audience that these <laughs> that these great big races are are beatable is you know it's it's perfectly meta because that's exactly what he needs to do for the the people of the non aligned worlds. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I mean, he needs a demonstration of vulnerability um, and needs the Vorlons to not only needs the Vorlons to do it, but then after Kosh dies, they need to keep it quiet because they don't want to scare them into thinking that, uh, you know, Kosh has died. They're just going to replace Kosh secretly, which is amazing. Um, so he's, he's desperate. He's on the edge. He goads Kosh, which is quite a thing. Cause again, we're talking about nobody messes with the Vorlons, right? That's, you don't mess with the shadows. <laughs> you don't mess with the Vorlons. And he does it. There's a moment too, where, uh, 
when when after he's been beaten around a little bit by Kosh, where he says, you angry now? And I thought this mm-hmm. is not to bring it back to original Star Trek again, but I, I see the influence in getting Box Leitner in, in, in this role in Babylon 5. He plays this part every now and then. It's a very Captain Kirk kind of moment where he's goading some, you know, amazing energy being this happened in the original star trek all the time and and, and doing a little bit of a lecture your intellect exactly right i mean it is that kind of moment where where he's like i'm gonna just keep poking at this supposedly superior creature um until something happens because i've got nothing left to lose it's a great it's a great moment yeah Mm -hmm. uh how about i mean right from the beginning when don't you turn your back on me s is getting real y'all I mean, this is the episode is... of talking back to power, right? I mean, in all on all levels, there we're talking back to power in this episode. Oh yeah, you told you, you told me you said you were teaching me to fight legend. Well, you're a legend too. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, oh this, yeah. This episode begins with some pretty wooden dialogue. That monologue that Susan uh, gives at the beginning, it's it's kind of rough. I don't like it. It's it's pedestrian. Um, mm-hmm. I almost feel like JMS was just sort of warming up, kind of in the same way that Rance Howard in his previous performance in Severed Dreams sort of uh, warms up and then and, and then slips into a groove. When we get to the confrontation, and when we get to before that, the um, conversation that uh, Delin and Sheridan have, um, you know, it just sort of, everything just sort of starts clicking into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, if if I'm frustrated by uh, anything about the scene with Sheridan and Kosh, it's that. Um, and again, I think it comes down to budget, and <laughs> I'm probably just budget. Um, <laughs> I wish I wish the confrontation was a little actually was a little more brutal. And mm-hmm. the thing that always bothers me is. He has this, you know, Sheridan is threatening essentially a god, a, a superior being here, and, and poking at him and prodding him and trying to get him to react. And the worst that happens is it's like he cut himself shaving. He gets <laughs> like a little blood streak on his cheek. And I realize, you know, there were, again, budgets and time and things like that, but I kind of wanted to see him get thrown across like the hall and I wanted to kind of have his clothes messed up and his and 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 maybe his nose bloodied or something like that and it just that part always gets to me that that I get what they're trying to do but I wish it had been um a little more a little more brutal um before it gets to the point where Kosh realizes that he's wrong yeah. and instead it, it's always like I'm just up against the wall with a little blood on my cheek you know yeah. I I I I hadn't really thought about that before, and when you started saying that, I started to agree with you. And by the end of uh, your phrase, I was like, nope. And the reason I don't want any more than that is because in the end, it's a father and son-ish relationship, and I'm not mm-hmm. sure I want to see. Uh, I, I'm not sure I want to be seeing Papa Kosh being so abusive to Sheridan. <laughs> well, then, then maybe not the 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 blood streak on the cheek. It's just so in between, right? It's like, well, what was it an accident? He doesn't change his mind right away, or maybe that's the argument is that once he hurts him at that point. But I don't know. It always seems out of place to me. Like it's neither fish nor fowl. Not only, I mean, he is he's beating him up, right? He's str- he's choking him. This is not. This is not Papa Kosh is beating up his son anyway, 
right yeah, now, right? Point. So That's if you're going to do that, maybe you should show a loss of control and then him regaining control and the the little you know the little blood on the cheek. It just it's always mm-hmm. it's always bugged me that it's not quite. Yeah. It's either too much or not enough. Although, yeah, of course, it is it is hard to show someone losing control and then regaining control when you don't have a someone <laughs> to actually show. Just, just right. a plastic suit. Yeah. Well. Okay. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Good Jeffrey Willerth under the uh, under the costume. Would you please uh, shake around a little bit? <laughs> just tilt your little head thing a little, and <laughs> that'll yeah. that'll be fine. On the other hand. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus Trevino, uh, who directs this one, does a uh, less ambiguously great job. That's a phrase that I regret immediately um, of the (laughs) fight between the shadows and Kosh. When, again, budgetary limitations mean that you can't give it the sort of grandeur, (laughs) the epic godly stuff. We're not going to have Yoda with a lightsaber here, you mean? (laughs) Spinning rat with a stick, yeah. Um, Yeah. And instead, instead, it's all it's it's blurry cam. It's just moments of uh, brief clarity and unearthly noises, and Morden looking on impassively. You know that is satisfyingly creepy, and I don't think that I don't think that Trevino could have done any better. I thought I think that that was uh, perfect. You imply oh. something that you cannot show. I wanted to agree, but Stephen actually found that sequence very confusing because yeah. he didn't quite recognize that it was Morden to start with going in there. I think the the mask was too difficult to, I don't know, to see his face. And <clears throat> the only person that Stephen ever really remembered going in to visit Kosh on a regular basis was uh, Sinclair. And so he was actually confused thinking that maybe Sinclair was back and something was happening. And he just, he didn't know. I had to, to be like, no, that was Morton and those were shadows. So that se- that whole sequence absolutely did not work <laughs> for huh. for Stephen simply because it was just too hard to tell who who Morden was. So I think maybe, I don't know, leading up to that a little bit more clearly could have, could have helped. But overall, overall the, uh, the direction was definitely, definitely good. Even Steven at the end, he said, uh, you know, Trevino did a, a great job. He's like, I can't believe he directed the worst episode of Babylon five, like two weeks ago. Uh, he's here. He's a poor man's Mike Vehar. <laughs> so. I, I feel like he's trying and we, you can feel the limitations. Like there's just, what yep. can he do? But that said, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, well done. I, I, I felt it was kind of empty. I almost wanted to see like little, I don't know, little more than I saw. I, I always felt like it was sort of like blurry panning around the set. <laughs> and I, I just, I wanted a little more, even if it was just like weird shots of Kasha's armor and strange little glowy, uh, shadowy body parts or something. But it just all felt like they flooded the set with a fog. And, uh, you know, made the change the stop on the camera to make it blurry and just kind of kind of shook it around. And it, it just it felt empty to me, I guess I would say. So although I feel the emotional heft of that moment. And so they get it. They cheat and they get it across. But like with Sheridan and Kosh, these are two key scenes that it feels like on a weekly TV production budget. They did the best that they could. But I wish they could have stolen some money from some other episodes to make this. I like they did for the, a lot of the VFX ep- heavy episodes. Um, here with the practical stuff, I felt like they kind of got let down. Like it was just, they just didn't have any money or time. And, you know, it's serviceable. But every time I see this episode, I think, you know, it was, it could have been better in those ways. These moments could have been even more kind of iconic visually. And instead, they're just kind of, you have to, 
let the visuals go and understand the importance of what you're seeing because the visuals aren't going to carry it on on their own. All y'all are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, Chip. Fair enough. (laughs) Well, anything else to to mention about the sort of Kosh dying part, which, you know, I I feel like the the real the real meat of this episode. But we have potatoes to move on to. We do. Mm hmm. So let's let's get on to some of those potatoes. Um, I think. Oh, I do. I do oh, actually have one more thing. Sorry, go for it. I was agreeing there were potatoes, but add um, some gravy. Okay. Uh, I, I just a couple notes here. Rance Howard again. I just want to applaud. He's so great. I love him. Mm-hmm. I, I I love the the weirdness of any TV show that has down homie Rance Howard playing an alien intelligence that hasn't been able to communicate in anything but riddles up to this point. So great. <laughs> what a payoff. And then of course that's the end. But it's such a great payoff. Um, I love the smashed helmet at the end. That is that mm-hmm. moment of like, oh boy, right? Like this is the result of that blurry stuff that, that that Chip liked is the helmet is just squashed and has like a hole in it on the desk later. That is, that's a great moment of, you know, the, the impossible to beat enemy uh, and ally have both had huge losses in this episode. Um, and it's kind of extra creepy because that is, you know, for the most part, that is all we have seen of Kosh. So it's it's not just like seeing the helmet of an encounter suit. It's kind of like seeing somebody's head, head. lopped off and sitting on a desk. Alas, poor Kosh. I knew him, <laughs> Ivanova. Um, and the line, they, they put, a, they put a, a lantern on it almost they, they, of what the theme of this is, which is he was afraid. You'd look at him and wouldn't think he could be afraid. This is the, the Vorlons are just like us. They're not, they're more advanced, but they're not gods. They are like us. And I think that's the message we're getting for the shadows and the Vorlons in this episode is look, they're in the game too. We're in the game. This is not about us doing whatever they want. This is, the, everything has changed. And the only other note I had was Sheridan has that moment where he where he uh, and it's done in a in like a voiceover but it's like i want to go see kosh and it's like it's it's late you should just go to bed and and in the end he gets the vision and so doesn't have the regret of not going to see him but um it's 2 a.m and i just wrote down nothing good happens past 2 a.m just don't don't go don't go to the alien sector at 2 a.m never Uh, i think the first time i saw this this episode I had that feeling like, oh, no, if he would have only gone, maybe he could have saved him. But this time watching it, I realized Morden and his shadow buddies are, oh, yeah. th- they're, they're too savvy. They're too smart. If Sheridan would have gone to visit him, there's there's nothing he could have done. Either they would have come later or earlier or killed him, exactly. too. I mean, there's there's no getting around this. No. Nope. A price right. had to be paid. Chip, do you have any gravy to add before we uh, <laughs> hit the potatoes? I I'm just, just making myself hungry here. Ham I, gravy? I just have thoughts about gravy, which is they are only appropriate on mashed potatoes, not on French fries. All right. Sorry to Canada for that. <laughs> yeah. I I reject your statement. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, okay, Something else so I'm wrong look- about, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's move on to some some potatoes. I'll make the mashed potatoes so that we can add gravy later for you, Chip, because Thank I care. You. Thank you. Um, but uh, I think the next thing that that caught me uh, both the first time I watched it and this time was the plot with Stephen, because we have seen Doctor Franklin's stim use very slowly ramping up over. I don't even remember when the first time we saw that was. It was over a year ago, correct? Yeah, yeah, something I think like so. That. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just it, it, in TV land, it, f- it felt like a very, very long time to be teasing something and building something up. And I thought that that was a, a pretty, a pretty artful way to do it. You, at the beginning, you didn't get hit over the head with it. And mm-hmm. then it just, you know, ramped up and up. And 
eventually it had to come to a head and here it did in this episode which felt like a lot of stuff came to a head so um how did you guys feel about the way they handled it did you feel it was too heavy-handed early on or or did you like me think it was a little bit smooth the way they did it i think it's mostly smooth um I noticed that in the last few, the last very few episodes, there really hadn't been time to do the Stephen and the Stims uh, story. <laughs> Every it, time you say that, I think of like a doo-wop group. Sorry. Uh, but uh, so it, it did sort of come back slightly out of nowhere. We, we saw him, you know, at his moment, you know, dancing at Earhart's and things like that. But that was several episodes ago. And we get to this one and he's shooting up in his quarters. And I do think that that feels a little out of the blue if you've been pay if you've been paying attention, if you've got kind of short term memory and you you're remembering recent episodes, but you're not thinking about the whole arc of the series. Um, it does feel a little out of place, but because, I'm me and I'm obsessed with this show. It feels just right. Yeah, I, w- I remember on watching this on first air being relieved that finally this plot, which is very <laughs> obvious. Anytime you have a character, one of your lead characters get involved with uh, drug use of any kind, you know that there you can see the story that's going to be playing out eventually. And it's just a matter of waiting for it. And here we are where it's like, all right, finally, they're going to address this stim thing that's been hanging over Stephen Franklin this whole time. We do get a fun scene with lots of nonsense medical terms at the beginning. Like I just kept laughing, like there are more of them and more of them. And it's like JMS just poured out a whole like volume of nonsense future medicine and it and it capped in the, the least dramatic way ever for some to ever lose it which is to just say 13 a bunch of times but that's that's the moment where you realize steven's completely lost it is just 13 13 13 like okay it's it's done but it it it, yeah it's it's almost like you just have to check the box and say um okay they set it up i i see that right it it may may not have happened recently but it's like it's not like they didn't set this up they've been setting this up for a long time so you you kind of go with it um i like the garibaldi we we have we have somebody who's a recovering addict on the show, right? And he can spot this a mile away, and he has that conversation with with Stephen, which I really liked because that says something about Garibaldi and his relationship with Stephen, as well as Stephen. And and Garibaldi does his detective thing, and then stops because I, as as an alcoholic, Garibaldi realizes. Stephen wants needs to want to change, right? He has that moment where where he needs to want to change, and everything that happens after that. And we know JMS has a a whole family history with alcoholism and other similar addiction problems. He he's writing from an, an experience, uh, a personal experience here. That that whole conversation is, I thought, was really great. Where where Garibaldi is just uh, letting Stephen make the decisions. Like it's your life, it's your decision to make. I can try to help you. Uh, not make the bad decisions, but something's got to give here. I'm not going to turn you in. I don't want this on the record. Uh, you know, I don't want to ruin your life, but you have to make a decision here before I before I do anything. I like that a lot. I love Richard Biggs's performance in this episode. Um, whether whether the thirteen 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 dialogue is 13. the strongest way to do it, um, thirteen. But he um. I think he inhabits the role just about perfectly uh, from the uh, from the flying off the handle in med lab to blinking back tears uh, as he's uh, forced himself to face the fact that he's addicted. You know, Mm -hmm. I think he does it all the way through. Um, 
he is sympathetic. Um, he is uh, clearly beginning a recovery journey. Um, and uh, the first thing that the first thing that you do when you start on th- that recovery is to just sort of try to figure out, try to figure yourself out. And he does it by uh, leaving his job and not giving Sheridan the chance to talk him out of it. It's all super believable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the first time I watched this, I was kind of shocked that he was leaving his post. Um, but I mean, now watching it again, I, I know an awful lot more about recovery at this point in my life than I did at that time. So so that side of it definitely rings true. And Stephen, being a doctor, understands that that's sort of the journey you need to go on. But, but even, even when you sort of take that piece out of it, it does kind of make sense from a personality standpoint with Stephen, because we've seen again and again that he is a creature of, you know, very strong passions when it comes to the things that he believes in and the things that he does. So the idea that he would recognize that he can be a danger to his patients and a threat. Uh, that's, that is the thing that he would do. His character would take himself out of that mix to make sure that he didn't hurt anyone and, you know, start, start on that road. So I, I think it, you're right, I, Chip, I agree. I think it was beautifully acted. The performance was great. And it's just, it's, it's, it's sad and it's touching, but it's, it's kind of a beautiful story because it is true. It is real. And Jerry the, Doyle uh, um, steps up every step of yes. the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now this is his. I mean, this this is almost like the reason why Garibaldi. I mean, this is such a great deployment of Garibaldi that he. We know his background. We've seen him struggle with this, and then he is he is both inhabiting the cop and the compassionate friend, and the knowing uh, addict uh, in recovery. I mean, all of these things we know about Garibaldi, and they're all in use. And and I lo- I love the compassion of the scene that he has with him. That too. That that's it's just it's a. It's really great. Um, if I want, if I put on my little um, my little analysis hat for a second, I don't know if there's gravy on it or not, but I've got the analysis hat <laughs> it's a here. Fetching, it's a fetching hat. If gravy we, is for if, mashed potatoes, not headwear. If we say that this, and I, I believe this episode has a very strong theme, which is this idea of fighting against uh, and, and overcoming uh, seemingly impossible. Uh, impossible like legends fighting legends right mm-hmm. so we've got the shadows the fight is brought to the shadows and the shadows are defeated by the vorlons uh kosh this seemingly uh perfect wonderful character is is shown to be vulnerable in more than one way right emotionally and uh and physically uh, i would argue that franklin's story here is is thematically connected in that he is fighting against his ideal of what he should be, which is the super person who can never sleep and who will save everybody and save the world. And the moment where he resigns to Sheridan, you see him giving it up and realizing he can't be that person because it'll kill him. So I, I, I uh, as I was watching, I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. Franklin's fighting, you know, has to overcome this unbeatable enemy too, which is his own vision of himself. So I'll just drop that there. Take off my hat. <laughs> no, that was that was good. That was that was excellent. And while we're still on this uh, on this pollen, I would like to to tip my hat, which is not an analysis hat. It's just a hat to tip. Okay. Uh, to Doctor no Hobbs, <laughs> no gravy. Uh, to Doctor Hobbs, uh, his I, I don't know if she's actually his second in command or ex- how that works, uh, chain of command wise. But she, you know, at the beginning is she's not giving in to Doctor Franklin's 
nonsense, basically. You know, she doesn't rec- she knows something's been going on. She doesn't necessarily recognize that he is that far gone, I think, uh, until he starts losing it and shouting 13, 13, 13. <laughs> uh, but she stands up for herself as a, you know, she's a doctor. She knows what she's doing and she wants to save this patient as well. And she isn't quite able to completely overrule him when he's just losing it. But uh, but I like that she stands up to him and, and we get that. And I also like that she really thinks about giving Garibaldi the blood test information and then chooses not to. That is not what I expected from a television show. I thought mm-hmm. I really thought that the path was just going to open up for Garibaldi and he was going to ask for this. And because he was asking as a friend, she was going to do it. And la la nope, la. Nope, isn't nope. this Professional pretty? ethical standards. Yes. Yes. Uh, that just it, it made me really believe these characters a little bit more once again, because she was she was doing the right thing and you know she didn't want to lose her job any more than anybody else did so so that was that was kind of great and they deploy her in the in the i guess it's the c plot in this episode or maybe it's the b plot and this is the c plot i don't know they deploy her or she she's checking out the dead body on the centauri liner that's just pulled in too so mm-hmm. she's uh she's everywhere in this episode yep all right. Well, do we have any last gravy for this before we move on to that uh, B or C plot with Londo? Is this going to be the green beans section of the meal? No, I, I don't not. like green beans. No. Um, we're going to have to come up with something different. I don't know. Maybe a relish tray? As long as it's not Brussels sprouts. Oh, darn. I All like right. Brussels sprouts. Okay. Something else you're wrong about, Chip. All right. Okay. So let's move on I'll to the... Just let that sit there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the next side dish of your choice. How about that? Everybody can have their own. It's potluck, sure. you guys. Potluck. Uh, and yeah, we have we have Londo who who starts this episode almost actually happy. And I know. we have a flashback to a time when he truly was, which was, you know, that Stephen was like, is that first season? I was like, yeah, that was, that was long, long ago. And he ends very, very far from that place. So far, in fact, that he is now willing to possibly sacrifice the future of his people for revenge against this perceived enemy. Um, yeah, quite an about face. And, you know, another hat tip to Mr. Morton for, for, you know, machinations behind the scenes to make that happen but mm. oh so it was did hard anybody for me else have the moment of he looks happy he's remembering happy things the anvil is about to fall on him <laughs> oh god yes that's this is the uh, i wrote down it's that godfather moment it's just when i thought i was out they pull me back in like you gotta have that moment where he's like he's out he's like i got it i got it all set i got rid of the 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 the, the space mob uh, my, my, my girlfriend's coming to the station. I got all the flowers. I bought all, every flower that exists. And life is good. And then boom, it turns out, uh, florists ruin everything, by the way. They just yeah. don't, don't, no, they, they ruin everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, also I'll throw in, uh, my gravy stained, uh, analysis hat, uh, to say <laughs> that Adira is also a little bit of a, uh, I would argue elusive, illusionary ideal. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, like. he never gets a chance to experience whether they would be, you know, impossibly happy or not because she's assassinated. But um, I thought, I thought that character was always more of like Londo's dream where he was hanging, you know, everything's going to be okay if I can just get her back here. And in this case, he isn't, you know, he doesn't, isn't allowed to get to that point. Yeah. It's sort of the same thing as with uh, Bester and Carolyn in the last episode, you know, there is a power differential here to the relationship. So she is more of an object 
than a person if uh, you forced yeah. mm-hmm. if if you forced mm-hmm. Alondo to be super honest with himself. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's sort of he, he, she was she was a dancer. She was a slave. Uh, she was somebody that he rescued. And while she, as a person and character, would ha- all have her own agency and all that, Londo probably would not, you know, fully perceive that. There's still a certain amount of wish fulfillment and obje- and objectification to that relationship, which totally. doesn't make his despair when she's killed any less authentic um mm-hmm. but it does i i think you're right jason it is sort of a an an illusion of a, a, an illusion of perfect happiness something of an an illusion of a relationship and that just gets ripped away from him right i mean i think the timing here is is part of why it works so well if she had been able to arrive alive on the station and they had lived together for you know maybe even as little as a couple of weeks or months or whatever i mean he he probably would have fairly quickly realized that that you know ideal dream of happiness is not something that actually exists and you do have to work with your partner whomever that is and whatever planet or space station you're on you know real life doesn't work quite that way uh, but because she's ripped away from him at this point where he hasn't been able to realize that either cerebrally or emotionally it's it's really just like you know popping a very very big overfull balloon and quite you get quite the uh, sort of blowback from that in that he's he's ready to run back into the arms of uh, creepy space mob i and like that that's... we only see the actress in flashback that we don't mm-hmm. actually get to see her ever arrive that uh, as far There's as a bald one... There's What's a bald that? head under that uh, sheet, yeah. but that's it. Yeah, well, I mean, if you were that actor, would you really come back just so that you could be dead, be a dead on a body. slab in a science fiction TV show right. in the '90s? No, no, but the but the but the horror of it for Londo is because he never gets the slightest interaction with her because mm-hmm. she because she was taken from him before he even saw her again. I just think that that's uh, dramatically powerful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I I think the scene with uh, the the scene with Londo and Morden at the end is so amazing and terrifying because we have we have that moment where Londo like bobs out of the ocean like he's above water he's like okay I got it I got it back where I wanted and here we have swung all the way back around to the darkest Londo ever mm-hmm. up to this point because he is enraged he feels he has nothing left to live for and when before what he wanted was the uh you know the the centauri to be great again now what he wants is revenge and he is happy to let the rest of the galaxy burn it is as long it is as his brutal. people as long as his people are protected he never exactly. quite loses that piece true true, mm-hmm. true. but that now now he doesn't care he's more actively evil at this point he's basically saying i don't care what happens to anyone else anymore let it burn i don't care do what you want as long as my people are safe and that's that's tough to see because as somebody who likes londo he has gone uh he he's been played like a fiddle and has gone as deep down into the space mobs clutches as you can be Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's kind of the the mirror image of Sheridan in a way in this episode because we have Sheridan starting out with nothing to lose and pushing and pushing until he gets what he wants and then that comes with a great big price which you know he is sad about and it's the opposite for Londo because he pays this price not realizing what it's what it's kind of going towards and because of that he feels like he has lost everything and and then is acting from a place of I've got nothing left to lose and ends up you know dipping deeper and darker 
Just really Are sad. you sure that's not an analysis hat you're wearing? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Look at this. My 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 tipping hat has somehow fallen off my head, and oh, no. <laughs> there's a little gravy there on my analysis hat now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I like the performances. I like. Um, I, I think Veer. Uh, I think Stephen First does a great job oh, as sort so of so great. Yes, as sort of like I'm. I want to. Uh, this is my boss being happy again. Maybe he can be saved. You know, um, that, mm-hmm. that's great. Um, Peter Jurisic, I think for the most part, nails it. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the, the breakdown at the end. I'm not sure whether that works or not. I'm sort, sort of mm-hmm. undecided about it. But Ed Wasser is masterful in this because he is the sm- he, he is the alternately smarmy or uh, quietly dangerous Morton that we've always seen. And then just, he goes to the florist and is like, uh, and, he, and he's blinking and he's an, he's an ingenue. He's uh-huh. as much of an ingenue as Lindesty was. And he's like, uh, yes. could you fill me in? Uh, and I, 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 I think that that's just great. The, um, we get a good callback here to Veer uh, in season two saying, I'd like to, you know, what, what do I want, Morton? I would like to see your head on a pike. <laughs> and here it's anything I can do to help. And he says, you mean short of dying? <laughs> and that's like fear <laughs> has no filter for Morton. He just, he knows mm-hmm. his deal. It's also just hilarious. Yeah, so and, and, and no no dramatics either. He's just like, <laughs> it's it's basically a verbal, it's a verbal middle finger. And he just tosses oh, yeah. it off and he walks off. Yeah, I need to put my tipping hat back on just so I can tip it to Stephen first yeah. for that del- delightful delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we have we have a lot of uh, a lot of fighting legends in this in this episode. Is there anything else that you guys want to cover before I I do my little Stephen check in before we I've, jump into spoiler space? I've, two things. One is, um, and again, it, it's for all the impressive uh, CGI that is early you know early '90s CGI on this show. Um, I my heart dies a little bit when I see the uh, the the little readout screen with the S H A and the V O R. Oh yes, that's me like too. they're playing electronic football with the shadows and the Warlons. Oh, yeah. It's like that makes me sad. Um, and then uh, to to my last note is a happy note, which is I know I I come on these episodes where terrible things happen, but one of the things I love about them is how they can really create. They've earned an emotional response with these momentous things that happen, and and I find that final beat where they go back to the conversation that Garibaldi was having, that they were all having about, about Kosh, where he said, then what? And they play it and you hear Delenn explain what will happen to Kosh's little yellow ship, which is so adorable that it's going to grieve in its own way. It's part of Kosh. It can't survive without him. And in the end, it's going to go off and that's the last shot of the episode and fly into the sun. It's so sad, but it's also so beautiful. And it's, a, I think, a nice job by... Mira Furland to be that's the right person to explain the sad thing that's going to happen. They even yeah, use we... lens flare to great effect. J.J. Abrams could learn something yeah. from this. <laughs> it flies into the lens flare. We need to say no more about. It. <laughs> you know, it is. It's another little piece of symmetry because we start out with Ivanova doing the voiceover, which I didn't have as big a problem with as you did, Chip. Um, I, I know what you mean about it feeling sort of pedestrian, but maybe I'm just a sucker for Claudia Christian's voice. I like to hear her talk to me and tell me what's going on, so I'm I'm all right with it. But I do think that the Delenn, um, you know, it's not technically a voiceover at the end. She is speaking to other people in the room, but we're seeing something else happening. Uh, but I, I think that her 
her little dialogue there is is much more affecting in, in part perhaps because it is such a beautiful sequence and such a sad thing and just sort of hurts my heart a little bit uh mm. but i think it's a nice way to to cap off the episode and just it's like closing the book basically is yeah. what it felt like to me two huge episodes back to back yeah we're we're really rolling um, which is something that Stephen kind of thought as well. Uh, I will just go through my little notes on what he, what he thought. Um, actually, I will say that before the episode started, hadn't pushed play or anything, he just turns and he looks at me and he gives me a look and he says, okay, now that we've established the importance of telepaths, I'm waiting. So, yeah, and then we still saw no, <laughs> no telepaths in this episode. Sorry, dear. Uh, but he's he's a big fan of the War Room set. We got to see that used quite a bit more in this episode than we did last time. Uh, and he liked the sort of longer coats that go over the, the costumes. Uh, so he was, he, was, he was on board with all the sort of physical stuff that we were looking at. He was really excited to see uh, Morden. He just yelled, Space Mob! Space Mob's back! So we had that, that little moment of excitement. And then even still in the cold open, uh, before the opening credits had even happened, uh, after we see the, the shadows starting to attack, Stephen just said, he said, holy shnikes. He didn't say shnikes. Uh, no. uh, he said, uh, Jesus, we're diving in here now. So he was, he was very excited. I think he felt like just this episode was rolling in, in a way that, these, that the whole series is rolling and and he liked it at the end he said that was a pretty good episode he said box lighter really gave it his all like we talked about especially when he was pushing kosh and i did say that steven was not dancing on kosh's grave and he wasn't quite but he did say uh you know he was pushing kosh to his death but whatever he was being cryptic it served him right cryptic bastard so he wasn't entirely sad about kosh's death but at least he wasn't uh jumping up and down as much as i was afraid he was going to um yeah, so he he was he's interested in the idea that they're going to get a new Kosh, but he didn't want me to tell him anything else, not that I would have anyway. And he's like, yeah, the doctor's going away now, but he'll be back. So it's like, okay, dear. It's always fun to hear Stephen's predictions, and I'm not going to tell him anything about whether he's right or not. All right, well, any any last-minute last minute words before we zip out of here into spoiler space? There's a whole giant CGA space battle between the Shadows and the Vorlons, and it got like 20 seconds in our coverage. That's how momentous everything else is in yep. this episode. That is true. That is true. Yeah. Well, okay, before we get to assigning the homework for next week, Jason, would you like to tell the nice people where to find you online? Uh, I I don't usually talk about just terrible things where characters die. Uh, you can find me at theincomparable.com doing lots of podcasts. And on Twitter, I am Jay Snell, and I write about technology regularly at sixcolors.com. Wonderful. Yes, I, I can vouch for the fact that Jason sometimes talks about happy things. So mm, Occasionally. <laughs> Apparently, we're his outlet for the dark side. Uh, <laughs> well... Somebody's got to be, I guess. I like other, I like other Babylon Five episodes too, just not <laughs> as much as these. <laughs> you know, I actually i I had to wait to tell Stephen that you were going to be a guest on this episode until we had watched it because I didn't want him to <laughs> get spoilers. any preconceived notions. Yes, maybe we need to have you back on for a, a happy, more uplifting episode at some point, just to throw him off the scent. That would be great. We should, we should do that. All right. Well, everybody, your homework. 
is walkabout. So in two weeks, Shannon hopefully will be feeling better and we'll take the lead in discussing that one. Uh, Once again, please stick to the Lurker's Guide master list order. We are again popping away sort of from from DVD order for the last time this season with Walkabout. So until then, you can find us online at B5 Audio Guide on Twitter and Tumblr or come visit our website, b5audioguide.com, where there's a plethora of conversation happening now that we're getting into the exciting action of the arc of the show here. And of course, there are threads for new folks who want to keep spoiler free and then the ones for you know deep meaty threads with lots of gravy uh, for people who want to talk about the whole series in fact the rest of this podcast episode will be for those folks so if this is your first time through the show and you don't want to be spoiled you don't have to fly right into the sun but you do have to go elsewhere because we are about to fly through a jump gate into spoiler space It's all downhill from here. That's big. (laughs) (sighs) Sinclair is failing. Yeah. (laughs) And he'll be back soon. I know. When Steven said said that he thought that Morden was actually Sinclair going in to visit Kosh, I'm like biting my tongue, biting my tongue, biting my tongue. Not going to say anything. But that's good that... It's good that Sinclair is still an, on his brain enough that he will, you know, remember him when he comes back. Right. That's something I worried about. I love that um, the master list has walkabout next because it always bugged me that Franklin has this total breakdown. And then it's like, and we're going to have some adventures. It's like, oh, oh, yeah. And Franklin. And now in the master list, Franklin's uh, episode where he really is going to decide what he does next is immediate after him resigning here. It's a much better place for it in the yeah. order. So good yeah, job, absolutely. Master List. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's then so we get much the more that I wanted to say about this episode that I have to wait until now to say, you know? This yep. is this is such a phenomenal episode for setting the tone for the next, what, six months? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the way through into the fire, basically. Yeah. I feel like just just talking about it, I feel a little bit emotionally wrung out, like so much stuff happened and came to an end and built up. And uh, yeah, I'm, I need dessert right now yeah. is what I need. I, you guys, can we agree on pumpkin pie? Can we agree on pumpkin pie? Absolutely. Jason. Yes, I endorse pumpkin pie. OK, finally, we're on the same page. All right. Awesome. So so I've got a question for you, Erica. <laughs> Go for and it. this is sort of a Stephen check in kind of question. Mm hmm. The most important question in this series to date is asked by Sheridan. What are the shadows after? What's their strategy? What do they want? They have been the mysterious big bad. And I recall from uh, from Usenet uh, back in the day, people starting to ask, JMS, like, okay, what are the shadows up to? I mean, I don't get it. This is there. Are they just are they just mysterious big bads out to destroy everything? And JMS sort of pointing out that, well, you know, some of our characters are going to finally start asking that question, and that is what happens for the first time, really, in this episode. Is what what is the game plan? What are the shadows trying to accomplish? That question is not answered, but it is asked oh. for the first time. Oh, Chip, it is answered. It is answered. Oh yes, before, it is. Before it is, it is answered asked. by Londo, Londo, isn't it? Londo says, "Are you just agents of chaos?" <laughs> yes, I yep. wrote that down. Yep, that's yep. it. Yep. You yep. got it. It's asked and answered asked in this episode. That's it's that, amazing, isn't it? It's abs- just amazing. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. So, uh, my question to you, Erica, <laughs> of course, is 
was Stephen ever asking that question up to this point, or did he notice that the question had just been asked? Nope that that I think completely has gone by him. He hasn't mm. he hasn't said that he hasn't said anything to that effect yet. I do expect that he will ask that question sooner or later. But I'm not surprised that he hasn't asked it yet, simply because this is the first time that the shadows have even come out of hiding to, to actually do anything. So I'm, I'm sort of pleased that Stephen hasn't gotten to that point yet, because every time he asks a question that I know the answer to, I'm always like, oh, I hate keeping secrets. So so no, he has, has not come to that sort of realization yet that he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Uh, I'm sure it will be coming sooner or later. Soon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the the order versus chaos battle. When you know archetypal, it's um, it it's you know this this is this is DC Comics stuff. This is Marvel Comics. This is this is you know uh, where what are some of the other uh, big where's the big uh, um, the White Guardian versus the Black Guardian? Yeah, in Doctor Who. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's other... the only one that Steven's going to care about. He's, oh, 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 he's Zelazny. Him. Zelazny, uh, Pattern versus Logris. Um, um, oh, you know, like in the Amber books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is a really archetypal conflict, and you get you you get a lot of clues to that in this episode, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those those are not the kind of things I expect Stephen to necessarily pick up on. He doesn't really go in for the the great epic battle type stuff as much as I do. He's he's more interested in I think the boots on the ground to some extent. But but yeah, I was I, the other thing that made me like bite my tongue was at the, when it's done. He's like, so are they just going to get a new Kosh now? What's going to happen? Never mind, don't tell me. And I was just like, mm, biting my tongue again, biting my tongue again. Well, because yes. We, and Kosh will return too, right? Not just fake yes. Kosh, but head head Kosh. <laughs> Inside Sheridan's head, he's got his own little Kosh in there. And that mm-hmm. so so that's a fun little bit that, that will will pay off from this. Yeah. We're gonna see we're gonna see him in the mirror, and then we're gonna hear his voice. Mm-hmm. Um it's yeah, yeah. Um I I it, it's going to be interesting to see how people react to all cash and mm-hmm. how Lita reacts to all cash. Um, I'm amused that we're using the name all cash, even though it never appears anywhere in the series. That is a uh, canon from the, um, from, from the novels that JMS approved of. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, which is fine, and I had never even heard that name until you and Shannon told me about it on the podcast here. But I find, you know, for in terms of being able to discuss the show and talk about that character, it's so much easier to have a separate yeah. name than to be like Kosh 2.0 or something fake, like that. Yeah, we are all fake Kosh. Kosh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Although it would have been yeah, nice to have seen uh, Kosh wandering around in, uh, you know, uh, an evening encounter suit, uh, you know, a formal wear <laughs> encounter mm. suit, a bathing I encounter would... suit, just to just to make it more plausible that people would assume that new Kosh is the same as old Kosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I'm picturing Kosh in formal wear with a little bow tie and tails. Mm-hmm. So the um in, in the in before the spoiler space, I I said. How I thought this was a theme, you know, this the whole fighting legends thing is the theme of this episode, and we're bringing the shadows and the Vorlons down to earth. Of course, unstated there is that this is also the resolution of this storyline. Ultimately, is everybody stepping up and saying, "Go away, get the hell out of our galaxy." It's our it's our time now. You're we're, no we're, better we're, than us. 
Exactly. So this is mm-hmm. this is showing the hand of where this story is going very clearly, even though, you know, you, you don't necessarily see it first run through. I think it is a theme here, but uh, this is the beginning point. These are the cracks starting to show that will lead us to that final point of frustration where the shadows continue to misbehave. The Vorlons begin to really misbehave and ultimately uh, all the other younger races tell them to go away. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's ever sort of explicitly spelled out, but I think part of Kosh's reluctance to get the Vorlons involved is that he knows the game that the Vorlons are playing and he's not totally on board with it. Uh, yeah, that's in my in my head canon too. Is the same thing, which is Kosh is reluctant, but he goes completely off of the policies at this point, and he's like, "No, no, you're right. This is the right thing to do." And I think what we see with Olkash later is that the rest of the Vorlons, we we learn the rest of the Vorlons not as nice as Kosh. Kosh was like the good Vorlon who really got what the what the humans were trying to do here, and that and he's almost like you know, is he? It turns out. Kosh may be just like so many of these other ambassadors on Babylon 5 who are kind of outsiders and they get, they get sent off to this stupid place that uh, to get <laughs> gotten rid of by their people because the rest of Orleans are not like Kosh at all. Kosh yeah, had no right. future and his crazy uncle got had some pull. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's just it's a bunch of ragtag misfits we got here on Babylon Five is what it what it boils down to. Yep, and turns out Kasha's Kasha's one of them. Yep, yep. And and speaking of, of Kosh, his, his prediction that now Sheridan will die at Zahadum. Yep, yep, that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah, I'm unclear on on whether when he says that great line of yes now, mm-hmm. whether, you know, w- was there a plan? Because he told him before he would die. And right. was his plan maybe to sacrifice himself at that point in order to save Sheridan uh, from that fate? I-, I wonder. It's never it's never explained. We do know that the last little bit of Kosh is what keeps Sheridan alive um, mm-hmm. uh, long enough to be you know, resurrected temporarily. But um, I, I do always wonder, well, what do you mean now? What what yeah. what were you planning, Kosh, my, to, to well, do I this? Think, I think in my head canon, Kosh did not want Sheridan to go to Zahadum. If you go to Zahadum, you will die. He was sort of offering Sheridan a warning. He wasn't, he, I don't think he was hmm. ever, unless you guys correct me, I don't think he was ever goading Sheridan into going to Zahadum. But Sheridan made the decision. I, I uh, then I will go and I will take uh, I will take as many of them as I can with me. So Kosh would have stopped him from going ultimately, Kosh felt in that last moment when he says yes now, is that Kosh figured that he would find a way to stop Sheridan from going to Zahadum and or, now he won't be there. Or perhaps found a way to protect him that maybe Kosh would have um although Vorlons weren't exactly welcome on Zahadum, that Kosh would have found a way to support Sheridan to keep him from dying, but nope. <laughs> Um, I'm going to get killed. I'm not going to be there to protect you now. Take Lita with you. I'll be riding inside her, but take, <laughs> take her with you. Well, my my headcanon, my my headcosh headcanon is uh, is that he this was kind of always going to play out the way it was going to play out, and Kosh sure. knew that. And his his initial warnings to to Sheridan, if you go to Zahodum, you will die, was was more that as he admitted as Rance Howard, he was afraid. He saw all of this playing out. He saw himself dying. He 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 knew that this was a distinct possibility and was afraid of it and wanted to avoid it and had maybe hope you know the hope is another theme of babylon 5 and he had this hope that that maybe he could avoid it and somehow get out of of dying and be able to somehow help sheridan whether it's with going with him 
as you know in Lita's head or in Sheridan's head or something like that but as he admits as Rance Howard you know that none of this was your fault this is the way it had to happen and and yeah so I think I think the sure you will die now was actually just a little bit of petulance in, in the mm. heat of the moment because mm. he was angry yeah. and sad and most of all scared. And note that Kosh will remain the, that little bit of Kosh stuck in Sheridan's head will mm-hmm. remain attached to living. Um, he's he as well as Sheridan will both be sort of caught in between tick and talk uh, with Lorian right. on, on Zahadum and you know. Kosh, even that last little residual bit of Kosh stuck in there is going to have to give himself up. And he's not really ready to do that yet. Yep. It's uh, hard to hard to believe looking at this. If 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 I say that this is uh, kind of where the the whole cracks begin to show in the shadows and the Vorlons and the battle is joined, it's only fourteen episodes from here to Into the Fire. Wow. That's I know, which I consider right. to be this like the 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 the, the pinnacle of uh, yeah. of the the Shadow of Orlon storyline, and I know that they changed the timing uh, in order to pack the story into season four in case there was no season five. But still, it I always think that Into the Fire is yeah. halfway through, and it's not. It's not even close to halfway through season four. Yeah, we forget how important the Earth Secession um, storyline and the battle yeah. against President Clark is to season four you know the shadow war gets resolved fairly early in season four Mm -hmm. amazing yeah well speaking of of the the shadow war and and all of that dark nonsense we've got londo back on the dark path and there's a lot of a lot of falling action that happens later with londo and his people uh afterwards because of the decisions he makes right here here. no hiding place (laughs) No hiding place in the mountains. No, sorry. Uh, does is it does it surprise you at all that the the, the murder of Rifa by the Narn Bat Squad and and the Rock Cry Out No Hiding Place is one of my very favorite scenes in Babylon Five? Because it is. No I guess I'm playing. I guess I'm playing to type. I guess I'm, I'm playing to type now. You know, I'm tipping my hat to you, Jason, because I I have to agree with you. I adore. That. I mean, just the the poetry of the Narns being the 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 object of execution of this horrible guy, and then the moment of knowing that really it's just although it's good for the Narns uh, and it's good for Londo, that means it's also good for the Shadows, and yeah. it's just about a revenge, and so it's a tragedy. While at the same time, you kind of like the fact because it's like, yeah, he's a bad guy, but. Uh, um, this is so tragic on top of that that it's a it's a great moment and this is the this is the setup for that payoff in four episodes or yeah. five episodes I love how Londo instantly assumes that Rifa did it yep and mm-hmm. he is so grief stricken and so angry that he misses what is to us what what to us would be patently obvious that uh you know you know i I wonder if he still suspects morden in some little bit although he is shocked you know at the end when he is revealed that he played me he played me like a puppet but when he says (laughs) everyone who what what is his line about everyone dying except the people who deserve it you know part of me thinks that he's Part of me thinks he's putting Morden in that category as well, even if he doesn't really truly know that Morden was involved in this. 
I think he's putting himself in that category too. Cause yeah. I mean, ultimately Londo knows that he deserves it because even if he believes that the poisoning came from Rifa, why did Rifa do it? Because Londo poisoned Rifa or you know, yep. poisoned or faked poisoned. I can't even remember whether, whether it was a fake or not. I think it was a fake, but regardless, Londo poisoned Rifa. He started this and, and Rifa lashed out at uh, a vulnerable person who Londo loved because he couldn't get to Londo. And uh, you know, that's what he believes anyway. And so it doesn't really matter what he what he uh, whether he knows the truth or not it's his fault it's londa's fault that she died so uh, you know he deserves he deserves it and keeps on living too yep so sad it is it is speaking and of yes you're of- so animated by this jason <laughs> <laughs> this is the you know this is what i love about babylon 5 honestly is the, there are stakes and there are and these characters go through these travails and uh yeah i i the lows um, the lows are sometimes the payoff and sometimes the highs are the payoff. But but here, I mean, I'm excited about Londo only because I know his path from here and it's terrible. But at the same time, um, we it leads to Cartagia. It leads to, you know, things on the on the Centauri homeworld next season. It, 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 there's lots of interesting places that he goes next. But this is the this sets him off on that path for all those great stories to come. Yep. Oh, 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 we, mi- I, I forget, I forgot to mention this in a pre-spoiler, but how officiously he sort of dismisses Morden at the beginning of the episode and uh, how that completely gets turned around. You know, I, I, I don't need you, Morden. I've, I, I'm playing, oh, yeah. I, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm playing all my cards. I got my best girl, you know, everything's, and then Morden destroys him. And he doesn't yeah, that, recognize that destruction until he's, uh, this. This is the downside of the speaking truth to power thing, right? Because Londo speaks truth to to, to Morden, and he's like, I, "I don't, I don't care about you anymore. I've got the upper hand on you." And he pays for it. He pays in a for way it that because, because yeah. sometimes when you speak truth to power, power smashes you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> squishes oh, you yeah. like a little bug. Yeah, and Londo's not his hand is not as strong as he thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I, yes. I wanted to mention something I didn't mention in the main show that I'll mention uh, here in the, in the spoiler space is, did you notice all the extras who really should have had one line, but they couldn't? Yes. Talking about budget, it's like they couldn't afford to pay scale for somebody to speak. And if you speak, you get paid a, a mm-hmm. higher rate than if you don't speak. Then you're just an extra. And there, there's the one guy who is asked two direct questions and responds with shaking his head because they couldn't afford to pay him scale mm-hmm. to say two lines, apparently. Yeah, that happened at least three times, and I just turned I to Stephen and I was like, "Wow, they really don't want to pay some pay these people to I talk." Know. Oh man, it, it, it for such a momentous episode, there are those moments where you feel like how how uh, low the budget must have been that yeah. they just yeah. were like, "No, we just can't." If we pay that guy to talk, you're going to lose uh, this shot over here, and we can't lose that shot. Yeah. So, B- but you know, JMS prided himself on bringing this show in under budget every single year, which supposedly never happens in Hollywood. I, <laughs> I, this is yeah, how he did he, it. I think he, this was why he's a survivor. I think maybe the show might not have made it. He was concerned that if it was seen as expensive, that would be another reason to get rid of it. And instead, they're like, nah, we're, we're, we're on budget. We're doing our thing. But yeah, they, they, they did a little bit too much, in my opinion, here, where there's like the, the, so many silent characters that we're talked to. It's so weird. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, oh, that was oh, a little oh. creepy. Oh, oh. We never mentioned yes. the game. Another side dish. No, we didn't. The game I did actually speaking this. 
but I I do. They, that, that's the, hey, have you lost, do you have any power? Show us. And that's the, of course, named mm-hmm. after Neil Gaiman because it looks like a <laughs> yep. character from Sandman. Yep. It looks like the Sandman itself. Oh, yeah. Yep, yeah. In his mask. Well, in the little, in the little mask. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's another little thing. Oh, by the way, uh, we were talking about side dishes. Do you know how many side dishes there are? Hmm. 13, 13, 13. <laughs> All right, I'm done now. Oh, Jason. <laughs> I'm taking off my tipping hat, Jason. Um, uh, back on, back to get, get back on, on a path. <laughs> you, uh, broke your, of, you broke Erica. Okay, I did. I'm broken. Sorry. I am so broken. Uh, Too many steps. Uh, Steven, st- uh, my Steven was right about the show, Steven, in that he will be back. Uh, but we do yeah. have we do have walkabout and i completely agree with you jason that the placement here is better i kind of hated walkabout uh the first time that i saw it because of i think it was because of just where it was placed and it just felt like it let the air out of the room um with its timing and i think this time watching it is going to be a very different experience simply because of the order that i'm watching it in because it feels like it will sort of be a resolution to some of the stuff that we saw happening in this episode so i feel i feel good about that it absolutely is. It's because it's we 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 get Lita, so we get the after effect of Kasha's death, and we get Steven immediately, and mm-hmm. those are both huge moments that um that you know follow directly on, and I'll also point out, interludes originally aired in May of '96, and Walkabout originally aired in the U.S. in September at the end of September. Oof. Because they took they took a break. These the the episodes that are coming up, um, they they finished with the two parter, and then they took a break and came back with Walkabout and uh, and Gray uh. Seventeen, and uh, so yeah yeah it was painful, Dad. and I think I think it flows way better by having Walkabout immediately follow this. That probably explains why I was so upset because I had been waiting for so long for this show that I had kind of just discovered to come back and give me some new stuff. And and it was that. So, yeesh. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, I feel like we've had our pumpkin pie. Is there anything else? Yep. People need some coffee with, you know. No, I'll cream. just say as a, as a little whipped cream on that, on that pumpkin pie, I'll say watch The Lurker's Guide because the last five episodes of The Lurker's Guide uh, for this season were originally compiled. By me hey hey <laughs> because they aired in the uk ahead of airing in the u.s and i volunteered because Stephen Grimm didn't want to be spoiled and i was i knew i was going to read the spoilers anyway that <laughs> uh, i volunteered to compile those episodes for him so he didn't have to see it so my name is on the bottom of those pages for eternity now which is kind of weird but uh yeah so that, enjoy that raises the question of just how you were able to get such knowledge Oh, um, I didn't, you know, believe it or not, I didn't get, uh, I didn't get these episodes right away. They were, people in the UK would send me information about what they saw. And I basically interpreted that in some cases misinterpreted and had to fix it, but interpreted what they were reporting and compiled that into the lurker's guide comments. So it was really, it was really, uh, people emailing me. Um, or, uh, yeah, people emailing me because my name was, uh, there as a co- compiler on the lurker's guide for those, those, uh, pages. And, uh, and I compiled it all. I will say that before the summer was up, Stephen Grimm, who compli- compiled the lurker's guide, got, uh, VHS copies, standard converted VHS copies of these episodes that aired in the UK. And he was very nice. He invited my wife and I down 
to his place in the South Bay in Mountain View, I think. And uh, and uh, we had a little viewing party. It was like three or four of his friends and us. And we watched all of those episodes before the U.S. viewing public did. And back in those days, that's what you had to do. You had to circulate tapes. It's true. Today, <laughs> they would have just been on BitTorrent two hours later. But back in the day, um, so I did end up getting to see those episodes. And then Stephen was able to take those pages back over and flesh them out further. And, uh, you know, and then we were back on track. But um, but it was kind of a fun little uh, summer project because they aired over the summer in the UK. So I very distinctly remember in the summer, it was like, oh, that new Babylon 5 is airing tonight in the UK. And then the emails <laughs> would pour in. So, so basically, you were like my, you were like my friend Stephanie, who's watching B five for the first time, but is going ahead and listening to the spoiler sections. You sacrificed, you sacrificed the pristine viewing experience because you wanted to know what was going to happen. Uh yeah, it's true. I did, I did. I wanted to know what was going to happen, and I, and I, uh, I, I, I knew I was just, I, it was not, I was not going to wait. I, I knew I was not going <laughs> to wait, so I just, I just went ahead and did it. Well, awesome. That's, <laughs> I love that There's little glimpse. Cream. I love that little glimpse into how the, I was going to say sausage, but how the whipped cream is made. That Thank was, you. Uh, very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, as always, this has been a really delightful discussion. Um, and I, yeah, this was, this was great. I was, I was thrilled to, to talk about this one despite the sadness or possibly mm. because of it, because, you know, yeah. there's a little Jason in all of us. Uh, I think. And, next, and yep. next time we'll talk about walkabout. <laughs> and, and next time we will yep will there be a didgeridoo played during walkabout yeah i i have some friends from australia who are not particularly pleased at the cultural appropriation uh going on in that episode but hmm. yeah so join us join us for that delight next time um and and thank you again jason for joining us to share in our pain and to to grieve and, and celebrate with us i hope to be back for a happier episode someday <laughs> Jason, you are the mortal. You are the mortal expression of Schadenfreude. Uh, <laughs> in an in a gravy stained analysis hat. Mm-hmm. Thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, as always, to everybody out there listening. We will talk at you again in two weeks or whenever you listen to the next episode. Until then, this is Erica in Edmonton, Chip in Durham, and Jason flying into the sun as we <laughs> often do. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Thirteen! Thirteen! Thirteen!